Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialists, Giles Gale and Jan Navruzzi. Before getting into today's discussion, I'd just like to remind you all to hit the like button and don't forget to subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. A very volatile week uh, in markets this week, the Russia-Ukraine situation, definitely escalated I guess over the weekend and into the beginning of this week um, we've had a like I said a lot of volatility in markets uh, we're recording this on Wednesday so yesterday on Tuesday markets basically did a, a full round trip in terms of their risk on risk off what do you kind of attribute that to Giles you know how much more risk off do you think we can see or or are markets being too complacent in terms of what's priced in now what, what's your take on that? I mean, I think, you know, markets are naturally confused, right? Because, you know, I mean, it's um, it's something that can escalate a, an awful lot further. And you know, I don't think that this is necessarily the right place to, to get into this in much detail. But I think that, you know, um, the pers- my personal view is that I think that a, a significant escalate, further escalation is actually quite likely. And... You know, what would that what would that mean? Well, you know, the the assumption is that it would be you know, hit to business confidence, probably. Um, you know, it may it may be a good reason for people to take a good hard look at stock valuations. Um, you now that seems to have already happened. I you know, would say that most people would probably uh, reflect that you know, stocks might actually still be a little bit overvalued, maybe quite a lot overvalued, and so it might be. Know, a reason to um, for for an ongoing correction there for rates. It's it's tough, right? Because it's um, in principle it could be an inflationary shock, and so that should mean rates higher. But maybe it's a temporary one, and therefore it's something that central banks should you know, essentially ignore. And then there's also the question of you know what is your Know, your quality asset towards which you fly in this kind of environment. And um, you know, bunds obviously are often high at the, you know, t- towards the top of that menu. Treasuries and gilts are also. Um, but you know, you've, got, you know, you've got forces in both directions. Um, my personal view is that this will end up uh, driving rates higher and not lower. But um, let's see. I guess then thinking about the impact that this could have on both growth and inflation, um, do you think that these, I guess, escalations of of geopolitical tensions is a reason for the ECB to be more uh, cautious about their kind of projected pace of tightening at at the March meeting? Yeah, I think they will take it that way. Um, You know, I mean, when it comes to, 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 to big sources of uncertainty like this then i think you know clearly you have to worry you, know, you have to ask okay so what you know, what what is their what you know what what, what is their risk adjusted approach to um to, to to that risk okay i mean that's a here i think that the uh, you know the, the the basic assumption is that it is an inflationary risk in the short term but Above all, it's a potential longer-term disinflationary risk. Okay, and, and that certainly seems to be the way that the ECB is in, you know, is, is set up. You know, clearly, they have been shifting more hawkish. But I think that you know, in 
in these sorts of circumstances, they will flip back to, to that kind of mindset. So I think that caution in the in this case will mean that they will be they will tend to be less aggressive in their hawkish shift than were this not uh, in the background. Simple as that. But you know, just to remind people, you know, we do think that they will accelerate their timeline for quantitative uh, tightening, like a better term, uh, the end of quantitative easing, um, which should now, we think, um, end in September. And that will then set up or validate expectations for a rate hike in, uh, in December. And just, I guess, quickly switching over to the US and we will come back to Europe, but while we're on the subject, um, same question to you then, Jan, do you think that this changes how the Fed are thinking about their tightening? Because we know that they're obviously reacting to a different point in the cycle and, and they're kind of further down this, this tightening path than the ECB are. So does that change how you think they might uh, react in, in March or beyond? It's going to be on their dashboard, but it's not going to be the the main risk factor. I don't think. I mean, whatever's for Europe, I would say the Fed is one even further step uh, more distance than than what the ECB situation is in. The Fed's probably going to focus on the energy impact, see how that spills over into inflation. So it might even push them to be a little bit more hawkish, and that's exactly what markets. Uh, that's exactly what markets priced in. Uh, we kind of got to the point where. People don't think that it will have direct impacts, at least from like growth uh, side or involvement side for the U.S. Uh, and more so possibly some like increased energy prices, which might force the, the Fed's hand even further. So I think if anything, it, it makes things a little bit, it, it just pulls back the timeline a little bit more earlier. Sticking with inflation there then, Giles, because, you know, we, we've talked a lot about what could be the potential impact of, of these tensions and, and particularly on, um, you know, natural gas prices and, and what that means for euro area inflation. We had Giovanni on the pod last week who talked about um, that kind of in detail. So if anyone's uh, interested in that, please go back and listen to last week's episode. But we've kind of seen the almost opposite market reaction. You know, we've seen five-year, five-year inflation fall does that really make sense to you so no i i think that five year five year break even you know, to take a that as a benchmark falling in these circumstances don't do, doesn't make a lot of sense i think i think that you know whether this particular risk actually materializes or not i think that we are uh, quite clearly transitioning towards a more inflationary world um, from the european perspective as well as other advanced economies and you know, the the need to include in you know, the you know, the the transitions that we all know about um, you know, an emphasis around energy energy security is likely to in, in, um, just add an extra um, an extra layer of, uh, of, of sort of you know, inflation to the next you know, the next many years and so. Now, I think that this is something which helps rather than hinders our rebalancing of inflation expectations um, around about the, um, the the inflation target. So, you know, five-year, five-year break-evens at 1.75%, that seems pretty low. And the fact that they're falling into all of this doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you know, compare and contrast what's happening in the, uh, in, in the UK, for example. 
So, well, you mentioned the UK, so let's go there. Um, you know, aside from geopolitical tensions this week, there's been um, a lot of uh, central bank speak, particularly from the Bank of England. Um, I'm getting bored of hearing myself on this podcast ask the same question to Jan about it being a 25 basis point or a 55 basis point in the US. Uh, so I'm going to switch it up this week because it's not just the US where this kind of debate is taking place. Also in the UK, you know, we've got markets kind of oscillating between expecting, you know, pricing in more or less chance of a, a 50 basis point hike um, at the March meeting from the Bank of England. Um, how likely do you think that really is? So re- reasonably unlikely, and actually the the, the, you know, the central bank speakers that we've had just in the last couple of days, in particular Ramsden uh, yesterday and, um, and and Bailey to today, um, you know, both appeared to suggest that fifty basis point hikes uh, you know, are maybe a little less likely than than markets are currently contemplating. Now, just to give you an idea, over the next three meetings, um, there's about 90 basis points priced in, which you know, if you consider that you know, three meetings at 25 basis points is 75, then you know, the extra 15 that adds up to essentially a, uh, a 60, 70 basis uh, sorry, percent probability that one of those meetings will, in, will actually be a 50 basis point move. And that seems to us to be too high. What about inflation expectations in the UK, though? Because I guess unlike what what we've just talked about in the euro area and and other kind of uh, global economies, we're seeing high market-based inflation expectations in the UK. Does that make sense to you? Well, I mean, no. High expectations, I could completely understand. But what we actually see is very, very high expectations. And that's kind of the, the, the nuance here. I mean, you know, the, um, the, the markets are really you know, not contemplating um, you know, CPI coming back down towards any, anything like target for decades. Um, I mean, if you look even 10 years out, uh, the you know, when the RPI becomes the CPI because of the uh, the RPI CPI reform, uh, you know, we're still at about sort of three point six percent, and you know, that you know, the the idea that we will miss on such a extraordinarily sustained basis um, by such a wide margin, the inflation target, I think, is probably a little bit of a stretch, even if our starting point is. Um, that inflation is high and it's going to be in the system for, for longer than maybe a professional, many professional economists and so on um, expect. Um, the markets are all way, already there and way past it. Silly markets. Uh, okay, switching over to the US then, Jan. Like I said, I'm bored of hearing myself ask a question about 25 or 50 basis points. So I'm going to switch it up slightly this week because another... I guess, topic that that we've spoken a lot about on this podcast and it's it's driving a lot of our kind of trade views in the US is just this idea that markets still aren't pricing in a kind of high enough terminal rate in the US. So even though they might have kind of front-loaded expectations almost versus what we have, you know, in the immediacy for the policy outlook in the next few weeks, actually over the longer term, we still have uh, a higher terminal rate than markets are expecting. Why is that? Why aren't they this kind of view of the terminal rate rising and is any of that because markets are ascribing a kind of uh, higher 
tightening value, I suppose, to quantitative tightening that, that implies fewer rate hikes, perhaps. I think QT is probably uh, quantitative tightening is probably part of the, the whole logic behind it. But also, I think uh, from our feedback and uh, what we heard from people with opposing views is that generally people assume that the Fed is either going to be able to either control inflation with uh, when, once they deliver the rate hikes this year. So if you look at a little bit forward inflation expectations, they're not really all that high past the two-year point. Uh, so it's just the assumption is the Fed will be able to normalize that and they wouldn't be able to go further than, well, what, you know, like a couple of hikes only, like no more than close to 2%. But, and the other thing is people just don't really expect that anything has changed materially from the last cycle. So if they had to stop at like close to two and a half last time, what, what would force them to go even further this time? Of course, we disagree with that. And that's what forms are are, you know, flattener and short kind of like three-year uh, points. But um, but, but th I think that has been the sort of like the main view that nothing has changed this time. It's all very similar to before. There's going to be this kind of drag and growth. There's going to be the debt overhang. And I mean, I guess this is a conversation for, uh, for other parts and uh, other notes we've written that we disagree with. But, and QT is also part of the package. I, I don't really like doing direct comparisons of how much QT impacts, uh, like what's the transfer ratio between 100 billion of quantitative tightening or quantitative easing to rate hikes. I don't think a real answer exists. I mean, there is research from 2015. If you look at it, I believe they said the 2015 level of QE that they had delivered was something about 400 basis points in, uh, in, rate, uh, in rate cuts that they avoided because of zero lower bound. That, that is not going to be as much anymore because since the system has been saturated with so many reserves and after uh, such a prolonged period of buying, the elasticity has to be lower. So uh, each dollar bought or each dollar uh, returned back to the market should have less impact. So uh, another you know, shadow rate is another measure of gauging. And these are all sort of consistent that about uh, the, the entire stock of, sorry, the entire flow of QE that we got this time corresponded to about close to one percentage point in additional uh, cuts that the Fed could have delivered. Again, I'm not, I'm not so sure that's exactly how it works because just as a kind of reminder, I mean, the last one and a half trillion or so of quantitative easing has been flushed right back to the Fed through the RRP facility. So it pretty much did no easing except perhaps stabilize uh, in a relationship between on the run, off the run bonds and so on. So I, I'm, I'm kind of... I don't really have an answer to how much QT will replace in rate hikes. Uh, I'm willing to say they will use that as an excuse perhaps to either deliver or not deliver. But uh, I'm of the view that the Fed still has a lot to discover about how QE or quantity or just balance sheet adjustments impacts the, impacts the market and the economy. So they're probably not going to be very aggressive around that. So we're only a couple of weeks away now from, well, from all the kind of major central bank meetings in March, um, which means that we will begin to enter blackout period um, from kind of next week onwards. Um, obviously, next week, we kind of have the last chance to hear from Powell before the blackout period. Are we expecting uh, any to learn anything uh, kind of new at this testimony? Or do you think that it will just be repeating what we've heard the last few weeks, I guess, repeating somewhat the message from the minutes um, uh, and then more of a 
surprise potentially at, at the meeting in March. Following this month's inflation number and after that, uh, St. Louis's Bullard coming out very aggressively with uh, you know the need for intermeeting hikes and 50 basis point hikes and perhaps 100 basis points in the bag by July, the market has been kind of saturated with uh, a lot of FOMC officials either and mostly leaning towards the need for a 25 basis point, let's look at the data hike normally and kind of kick it off versus uh, 50 basis point like uh, like Bullard. But then, uh, so, so market is reacting a little bit less to the each marginal commentary at this point. However, uh, Powell is going to be different. He he's going to, well, he has the privilege of being the chair and also, <laughs> and also has the privilege of being perhaps the last speaker as the Fed enters a blackout period. Uh, which will be on March 5th, I believe, the Friday, next Friday. Uh, so uh, I would, it's, he's going to set the stage and it's really, really fluid right now. We have to see how things in uh, with Ukraine develop. But uh, I think he would probably affirm what market is pricing right now. And it's not, it's not over 50% for a 50 base point hike. So I think he'll go out there, he'll say they're about to start normalizing policy but he's not going to stress anything about the need for oversized moves, the need to royal markets, or just kind of the re- need to go very aggressively at the beginning. I think he will emphasize that uh, the Fed should start uh, starting raising interest rates, uh, start normalizing balance sheet much faster than last time. These are not norm- this is not new information, but uh, I just believe he's going to reiterate what we've already heard from him. Not so much the more hawkish side, but more so like the central part of the the yeah the more i guess balanced kind of data-driven approach than than either come okay great well um i think we'll wrap it up there for today thank you both for joining me uh just a reminder to our listeners that if they like today's episode please don't forget to hit the like button click subscribe so you can get the latest episode as soon as they're available thanks see you next week <laughs>